It was just one of the things that they did in that culture where they would boil sacrifices in their mother's milk expecting it to be like a super sacrifice. And so what the Lord is saying, listen, don't be like the people around you. Don't just put like a little Jesus spin on it. Don't do it. Okay? So forbidding syncretism. Do not incorporate all the world stuff and just put a little Jesus flavor on it. That's what he's telling them. Or don't put a little God flavor, Yahweh flavor on for the children of Israel. This world has some appealing aspects to it. Some of it's good, some bad, but if what you're chasing in the world is taking you away from God, it's not worth the pursuit. Today, Pastor Daniel will warn you not to take something of the world that you want and try to put a Jesus spin on it. It doesn't make your activity worth God's recognition. Instead, look for what your Creator can offer instead. It's always going to surpass your expectations. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 23 as he continues his message, Parties and Promises. As we move to verse 14, I like this because now we start getting into God's parties. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. God's into parties. He puts them in here. Look at this. Look what it says. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me in the year. When I see the word feast, that means a party to me. When food's involved, it's a good time. Three times a year. I like that. Right now we have Christmas and Easter. We need to add a couple extras. They got three. Never mind. Listen. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you. Verse 15, at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None of you shall appear before me empty. So three times a year we have every able-bodied male is expected to be in Jerusalem for a feast. Now, first you have the feast of unleavened bread, which is also tied with the feast of Passover. Okay, it's in the first month of the calendar year, in the springtime. Part of it was, you got to eat bread without yeast, so uh, matzah is the common word that we use for it. And notice, it's a seven-day feast with a festival on both ends. But one of the things is that you can't eat any leaven. Why? Because the Passover, we know Jesus was called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world because he's the Passover Lamb. And Jesus, the bread of life, was without sin. That's where all of that comes from. That, and we talked about that when we were looking at Exodus chapter 10, 11, and 12. So that's the very first one. Now notice next, verse 16. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field. So that's the second one. The feast of harvest is also called the feast of weeks, which ended up ultimately being called the feast of Pentecost. It's all the same thing. Why? Because it happened seven weeks after the end of Passover. Seven weeks, the next day, the 50th day, which is Greek Pentecost. That's this feast of harvest. Now, don't miss this. This was the first fruits of the spring harvest. And it's not by chance 
that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was the first fruits of the harvest of souls in the dispensation with the finished work of Jesus. Do you see that? When you read it in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. That's the first fruits harvest festival of God. And it lines exactly up, exactly up with God's laws. 50 days after Passover, that's when it happens. That's why all those people in Acts chapter 2 from all those different languages are there in Jerusalem because they're there celebrating the feast of the harvest, the feast of weeks, the feast of Pentecost. But now we realize that the feast of Pentecost, just like the feast of Passover and unleavened bread, means more than just a commemoration of what's gone on in the past. It's meant to be prophetic, to point the people to something that God's going to do when the Messiah comes. So that feast of Pentecost is powerful. It's a feast of first fruits. The first people who get their lives changed by the Spirit, by the finished work of God. And then in the middle of verse 16, notice it says, And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you are gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So the feast of ingathering is also called the feast of tabernacles. It's a Thanksgiving festival. And it happens at the end of the year. Now, what's interesting about this, and I'm going to get to this, and we'll do a more thorough treatment of all these feasts, is that the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, it's all the same thing that's at the end of the year. That's a fall feast. And what's interesting is just as all the spring feasts point to Jesus in his first coming, all the fall feasts point to Jesus in his second coming. So if you're like, hmm, I don't know about that, go read Leviticus chapter 23, it'll take me probably about a year to get there. But good things come to those who wait. And we'll get there and we'll look at that a little bit more in depth when we get there. Notice verse 17, three times in a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord God. Verse 18, you shall not offer blood of my sacrifices with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning the first of the first fruits, verse 19, of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, these two verses, verses 18 and 19, forbid something that's called syncretism. Syncretism for the children of Israel is incorporating the pagan rituals of the people around you and incorporating it into your own religion. Okay, we know syncretism in this way, is that predominantly the Roman Catholic Church married biblical Christianity with the pagan beliefs of the day. That's why we have Easter. It comes from Ishtar, which was a, which was a Roman pagan ritual. That's also why we have Christmas trees. It's interesting, the book of Jeremiah forbids cutting down a tree and decorating and sticking in your house, but we all still do it. Now, someone's going to say, well, then what should we do? Should we stop doing it? I don't really think it doesn't have the same function today, but I know that some of you have a, a hang-up about these things. You know what I mean? But syncretism is taking the beliefs of the world, the culture around you, and incorporating it and putting a little Jesus spin on it. And listen, I'm going to say this. As a pastor, and we realize Crossroads is a contemporary church, we have to be careful not to become so much like the world to win the world that we actually have nothing going for us. Because the body of Christ has a lot of that going on, where people want to talk like the world, look like the world, act like the world, 
and they actually don't have anything to give anybody because you're just trying to be worldly and you put a little Jesus spin on it. God still wants us to be holy people, peculiar people, unique people. So we have to be careful because this forbids syncretism. All these different things were things that were going on in the cultures around them. Notice, you shall not offer blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread. Now listen, in that culture, people drank blood. They did, because life is in the blood. And when they wanted to be blessed, they would drink blood. What happened is some people were like, man, drinking blood's pretty nasty, so I'll just mix a little blood with my bread. That sounds kind of nasty, but if, if you think that you're going to get some benefit from drinking blood, and you think drinking blood is nasty, sticking it in some, in some dough, it's really not that nasty. I mean, I do it with chocolate syrup all the time. A little chocolate syrup in the that tastes good, right? You can put lots of things in your bread. It doesn't even taste it. I mean, how many of you made zucchini bread for your kids? They never eat zucchini on their own, but you put zucchini in some bread with some sugar and you eat it, right? It's like, it's like stirring, never mind. It's like stirring your green beans in the mashed potatoes, right? The mashed potatoes mask the nastiness of the green beans and the kids eat it, right? Every parent knows what I'm talking about. I have a sister-in-law, I'm going to stop you, my sister-in-law, she's always trying to get good stuff in her kids, so she'll make cookies and then she'll make these concoctions, tinctures of all this, this amino acids and stuff, she sticks it in the cookies, the cookies are still nasty, but the kids will eat them because kids will eat cookies, right, they'll try at least one, if it's a cookie, you get it in them, so that's kind of what was going on there, they put a little blood in their bread, he says, listen, don't do any of that, notice the fat of the sacrifice shouldn't remain until morning, same thing. God has this thing about letting the daily bread be sufficient. Don't hold it till tomorrow for fear that you're not going to have it. They were doing that a lot. Notice, the first of your first fruits of your land shall shall bring into the house of the Lord. Again, this speaks of tithing. This speaks of bringing your first to the Lord. Now, I realize we live in a day and age when it comes to being generous with our finances. We always give the last to the Lord. We give the first to the mortgage company or the landlord. We give the second to all the different insurance people. We give third to the refrigerator, fourth to the cell phone and the television. And if there's anything left, and there normally isn't, we give the rest to the Lord. And we have that the whole thing reversed. From cover to cover, give your first fruits to the Lord. Guess what? He's the top dog. He is. Let's be honest. Way more important than the bank or the insurance guy. The Lord is the most important. So we got to make sure we get that right. And notice at the end of verse 19, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now this got translated for people who are orthodox. If you ever meet somebody, they won't put cheese on top of chicken or cheese on top of meat. They say it's not kosher because of this law. Because cheese is made from a mother's milk. They totally missed what the meaning of the law is because in that culture that the children of Israel were in at this time, it was a fertility ritual to, instead of roasting sacrifice on an open fire, they would take a a young lamb and put it in the milk that sustained them and boil them there with the idea that it was going to empower the sacrifice. So it's kind of a weird thing, but listen, it's a different culture than ours. We have a lot of weird beliefs in our culture, too. And when we get older, our kids are going to be like, I can't believe you guys did that. It's so nuts. Every culture has that. You look at your parents, you think they were nuts. Our kids are going to look at us, think we're nuts, all the way down the line. It was just one of the things that they did in that culture where they would boil sacrifices in their mother's milk, expecting it to be like a super sacrifice. And so what the Lord is saying, listen, don't be like the people around you. Don't just put like a little Jesus spin on it. Don't do it. Okay? So, 
forbidding syncretism. Do not incorporate all the world stuff and just put a little Jesus flavor on it. That's what he's telling them. Or don't put a little God flavor, Yahweh flavor on for the children of Israel. Now in verse 20, notice what it says. It says, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the otherites. That's, I just added that. And I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you, No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now this is talking about, this is the end of the book of the covenant. Next chapter, they're going to affirm it. But notice what he's saying is, he's saying, look, I'm going to send my messenger to go before you. God said, I'm going to send a helper. And most people, then listen, there's a lot of argument about who this is. Most Christians would say that this is the incarnate presence of Jesus Christ. You're going to see him in in the book of Joshua, the captain of the Lord's army. He's going to pop up in a bunch of different places. Early incarnations. Presence of Jesus with the people. God saying, look, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a messenger to you. And And what's interesting about this angel, now that word angel literally is a messenger. Notice how God mixes the metaphors Often in this, it says, beware of him and obey his voice. And then he says things like, he says, for my angel will go down before you and, you sh- and will bring, in, bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites. He says, if you hear his voice and all that I speak, it's interesting, the angel's voice, God's going to be speaking. So you have all these mixings of metaphors, like, well, is it the angel? Is it the Lord? Who is it? Well, guess what? It's the God man. That's why it happens, because you see all these mixes that go on. But God is promising them that he's going to take care of them, that he's going to bring them into the land. But notice that obedience is important to the process. Notice what he says. He says, you need to listen. You need to obey. My name is in him. And if you obey his voice, notice, then he'll be an enemy to your enemies. And you'll be blessed. There'll be no miscarriage. There'll be no barrenness. There'll be fruitfulness. And and listen, I'll be honest with you. How many of us, our lives are not fruitful the way we want them to be because we're not obedient to the Lord? We try and teach it to our kids and we forget to learn it ourselves that blessings flow from obedience. Because when we're obedient, God knows that he can trust us. That's why it says if you've been faithful in the little things, what? God will give you greater things. Why? Because God knows if you can be faithful now, then I can give you more to steward and you'll be faithful. But what happens is is we just want the more without paying the dues of the faithfulness and the obedience. We just, Lord, just fix this. And And we're not willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to do the dirty work to be somebody who can handle the blessings, 
handle the responsibility. In a lot of ways, it shows the entitlement of our culture. Back in the day, people would say, listen, you need to work your way up, and it's just going to take as long as it takes. Now it's like, listen, yeah, I got a college degree. Make me the CEO. And, and, and that's our mentality. Nobody's willing to pay their dues. And I'm not think, I don't think we should pay our dues just to pay our dues. I just realized that God's word tells us that blessings flow from obedience. And we want all the blessings, but we actually don't want to be obedient in the process. And then we're not trustworthy to the Lord. And because the Lord loves us enough, when we're not trustworthy, he won't allow us to experience all that we want because we really can't handle it. And God's blessings then will become cursings because we fall under the weight of them. So obedience is a part of this for them. In verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Again, God comes back to this idolatry piece. He knew it was going to be a problem. He knew that in that day, just like today, our hearts are idol factories. We love idolatry. Now notice what it says, verse 27. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land becomes desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you shall inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hands, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now, notice this. God's saying, look, I've taken you out of Egypt. I'm organizing you with my righteous law, and I'm going to give you a home. I've been saying it all the way through, right? From Genesis to Revelation, it's about God, the people, and the land. God's saying, look, I'm your God. You're my people. I am going to give you a place to go. And he's like, when it's time to drive them out, I'm going to send everything. My fear is going to go before you. They're going to get confused. I'm going to send hornets that are going to drive them out. But notice what he says in verse 29. I'm not going to drive them out from before you in one year. Notice this. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased. I wanted to stop there for just a moment. Because you know what this teaches us? God realizes that growth is a process. And you might be sitting here today being like, God, I've been praying for you to take this thing from me for a long time. I just don't get why you haven't taken it from me. Because God knows that if it just goes away, just like the inhabitants, if they were just gone, beasts of the field would come. They wouldn't be able to handle it. So part of God's process is, let me say it this way, we like the end, God's in the process. We just want the land. God's like, look, if I just destroy everyone out of the land and I leave you in there and you're, there's not enough of you to inhabit the land, bigger beasts are going to come because this was long before there was only deer and stuff. There was big animals. You, know, you hear about David fighting a bear, fighting a lion. And so if he just exterminate all the people from the land, there wasn't enough of them to be able to inhabit the land and they'd have bigger problems later. So I bring that up because I think it's interesting that God likes to do things little by little sometimes. We want them gone in a minute, right? But God's like, no, no, I'm, I'm doing a work here. 
And God's faithfulness to us is in the midst of the work. And then verse 31, notice, we get the boundaries, the great boundaries of the promised land, which the children of Israel actually never lived within these boundaries. It reached its zenith in the kingdoms of David and then Solomon, but never to the fullness of what God has promised them. And we await that, I believe, in the millennial kingdom when Jesus, our Lord, returns. But notice verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to close with this. If you worship other gods, if your heart is lifted up to anything else other than the true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it will be a snare to you. And a snare is something that somebody got caught in. It was a trap. That's what a snare is. And we have to be careful because although we don't have rampant idolatry like you saw in the Bible, we still have idolatry. They're just not statues anymore. Our idols are pleasure, materialism, accumulation, racism, all sorts of isms. You know, and the reality is, the reality is, is that if we lift up our hearts to other gods, that will ensnare us. And Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is what? It's free indeed. We need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, like Gideon, we need to tear down the altars to our idols. And it's not pretty. When you realize you got an idol and you realize you're worshiping, it's hard to tear it down. Part of our identity gets lost. But listen, the identity that's given over to an idol is not who we really are. It's us who are trying to find ourselves. And brothers and sisters, you want your self-styled identity to die so that who you are in Christ could blossom. I'm not judging anybody. We all have them. I have them. You have them. Every single person except Jesus Christ who ever lives has idol issues of all different sorts. And God, by his grace, is tearing them down in our hearts. And we just need to say, yes, Lord, do it. Rip it down. Tear it down so that you can build an altar to you that will never perish, that will last into eternity because the only God I worship is you. And when we do that and we simply respond to Jesus day in and day out, it's a whole other ballgame for us. Jesus is As you grow in your relationship with God, he's going to address the idols in your life. Pastor Daniel reminded you today that God wants to tear down whatever separates you from him. He wants to take those things that are harming you and throw them far away. God wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. As you allow him to remove your idols, that relationship will grow and bloom and become more than you imagined. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. 
Find out more by visiting our website, jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel reminds you that your moral compass isn't something you've made up. It comes from the God who created you. God has a standard, a measure of what's right and wrong, and we've already been studying it in the book of Exodus. These laws weren't shared with the world to make life hard. They're meant to protect people, to raise the standard, and to show us God. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Sinai. Until then, may God bless.